Dennis Kinlaw was the president of Asbury College for 18 years, leading the school through the 1970 revival. In 1983, he founded the Francis Asbury Society to promote the message of scriptural holiness. We hope you enjoy this message from Dr. Kinlaw. To him for righteousness, he picks up Abraham as the model. When you get to the book of Hebrews, in that great 11th chapter of the book of Hebrews, where it gives the roll call of the saints, of the heroes of the faith, there is almost twice as much space devoted to Abraham as to anybody else. Not even Moses gets the billing that he does. And I suspect I could make an easy case that Moses was the greatest man outside of Christ that ever lived. But Abraham is the model for us. And I think there is something divinely wise in that. I like the notion that the first person is the model for the rest of the way because it lets us know that the basic pattern doesn't change. The pattern that was set for those that went before us is basically the pattern for us in its essence. Now, there may be differences in the circumstances and in the things that go along with it, but the heart of it, the essence, is always the same. Now, you're aware that when Abraham came along, there were no Ten Commandments. That doesn't mean that he was an immoral man, but Sinai had never occurred and the giving of the law had never occurred. That came centuries later. You're aware that when Abraham came along, there was no church. So the worship of the true God was not institutionalized. And so the thing that is so common to us, the church was not a part of his life at all. You realize also that the liturgy and ritual of the church that we have, like the sacrament, baptism, and the Lord's Supper, the Eucharist, these things, they came later, and they were not a part of his life when he heard the call of God and when he answered him. Now, I think there's divine wisdom in that because it lets us know that these are not the essence, these are not the heart of what God wants out of me. Now, there's no question about the importance of the law. That has to be. It ha- we have to come to grips with the moral, ethical demands that God makes upon us. There is no question that we have to come to grips with the institutional expression of Christian faith. And we ought to be participants in the church and supporters of it and feel an identity with it and promote it. And certainly, we should appreciate the sacraments, those visible symbols, of our faith. But all of these are secondary. Now, I don't know how you think about that, but the way I think about it is, I fell in love with Elsie, not Mary. And when we got ready to get married, people began to feed books to us. And I found all sorts of books on marriage, but you know, I never found a single one on Elsie. But it wasn't marriage that I was after. It was Elsie that I was after. And it's interesting that that's the way it's been all through these now it's, uh, I hate to tell you, it's over 48 and a half years. But through those years, the one that I've been after, the center of that life, has not been the institution of marriage or the patterns that are established for it. It has been an experience centered in a person. Now, God says, that's what I want out of you. And so Abraham is a model here. He just said to him one day, I want you to walk with me. I want you to follow. That's what I said to Elsie. I want you to give up New York. 
I want you to give up your career. I want you to give up all these other things and I want you to tag along with me because I like you and my life will be a whale of a lot richer if you go along. And from what I know, I'll be a whale of a lot better person if you'll go with me. And time has certainly vindicated that. Now, it was just that down to earth and just that personal when God said to Abraham, I want you to leave your country. I want you to leave your people. I want you to leave your family. I want you to forsake all those things and attach yourself to me. It was not to an institution. It was not to adjust to a moral code. It was not to any liturgy or ritual. It was a personal relationship with the living God. And God said, I want to have that kind of relationship with you, and I want you to follow me. Now, if you make that kind of commitment to a person, there are certain price tags that go with it. There are certain costs. God says, I want you to attach yourself to me, and if you're going to attach yourself to me, then you've got to detach from a lot of other things. And that's the reason that the Bible has its strong stand against idolatry. Because you can't attach yourself to two gods at the same time. And so he said, attach yourself to me. Now to show that you have attached yourself to me, I want you to do what I tell you to do, and I want you to detach yourself from all of the other normal relationships. Now what are they? They are reflected in the biblical text where he says, I want you to leave your country. I want you to leave your people. And I want you to leave your family. Now, those are the normal social relationships and cultural relationships of that period of time. But now, how telling they are. I don't know about you, but it's significant to me that the first thing he said was, I want you to leave your country. Because then our country is a place where we get a lot of our securities and a lot of our identity. But he said, I want your security to be in me and your relationship to me, and I want your, your identity to be in your relationship to me, not just in your relationship to your country. Now, I suspect that Abraham thought twice about that. Because, you see, Ur was the center of great culture in that day. It was a very sophisticated city. We have art artifacts from that period, from that city. And they're very beautiful, lovely things. Lawson Stone back here can tell you in detail, and many of our faculty can tell you in detail about many of them. It was a culture that was marked by the aesthetic, by, by economic wealth. It was a culture that was marked by a very high standard of living. And God said, I want you to put that behind you. I think that's applicable to 1992 Americans, don't you? Because we live in the most privileged position, culture in the world. It was in a culture like that that God said to Abraham, I want to be ahead of your culture and all of its claims upon you. And the place where he took him was to the backwoods of nowhere. And he said, if that's where you want me to go, I'll go. Now I'd like to ask you, if you have the kind of personal relationship with Christ, that you're willing to give up your standard of living for him. That's what he asked the first person of major significance in the Bible. Now he said, I want you to leave your people. You're aware that it's in our people, in our country, uh, the, the people of which we are a part, our people group, that we get much of our security and our identity. I found myself, as I told you on one occasion, 
sitting in the office of the Minister of Culture and Cults in, in Russia, and uh, it, I thought it was going to be an incredibly hostile hour, and the Baptist pastors that went in with us, you could feel their apprehension level scooting up, and as their apprehension level went up, something inside me said, Kinlaw, you're a long ways from home. Because, you see, America and Wilmore means security, means uh, identity, these things. But he said, I want you to put me ahead of the people group of which you're a part. You know how hard it is to put God ahead of the people group of which we are a part? Do you know some of the people I admire the most at Asbury? Are the people who come from other people groups to live among us. Sometimes it's shown in the color of the skin. It's not easy for them to come to all white Asbury. It is not easy. But they care enough about something that they're willing to put themselves in an uncomfortable position. I wonder if all of us that are white are willing to reverse that. If you've never been faced with that, you don't know how much security and identity you get out of the people group of which you're a part. I'm very grateful that when I first became a Christian, God put me through some paces on that. I grew up in a small town in North Carolina that had three mill villages around it, cotton mills, textile mills. The social chasm between the town and the mill villages was like that between the Jews and the Samaritans. When I went to the first grade, there was a 1A and a 1B, and 1B was the town kids, and 1A was the town kids, and 1B was the mill kids. When I was in the eighth grade, I met somebody who was in the B section. We played on the same playground. It was like the Jews and the Samaritans. When I was in high school, I dated a girl from the B section, and everybody in town was upset and concerned. I remember when I found Christ, I could not find a single person in my social group that was a Christian, a born-again Christian. So I searched to find somebody who knew what I knew, and the one that I knew. And I finally found a fellow who, he was not exactly the perfect image of the kind of guy you wanted to walk down the high school corridor with for the girls to turn and look at. And the other fellow was about that high, kinky white, white hair, who came, both of them came from the wrong side of the social register. And I found myself walking between big mountain J.W. and little Alpha. What a name. Alpha. That was his name. Now, you didn't get any social prestige, but you know what I found? They knew the same one I did. That was a liberation for me because I found there were certain things that are infinitely, infinitely more important than the things that our world places a value system on. God put Abraham, the first man in the Bible, through all of that. And then he said, I want you to leave your own family. And goodness knows how much security and identity that means. And so, when God said, I want you to leave your father, I want you to leave these that are your relatives, I want you to walk with me. 
You know, he was saying, that's the kind of claim I'm going to make on you. I'm going to make a claim on you that makes you put me first, and then you can be an international. It's interesting that the end of the Bible is all the nations of the earth coming to Christ, and the beginning of the Bible is one man being stripped of his, of his ultimate allegiance to his own nation. I love the internationalism that runs through because God is building a kingdom that's bigger than any of our groups and bigger than any of our normal lawyers. Now, one of the things I love is that uh, when he takes things away, he gives things back. And isn't it interesting how he gave things back? He took away his family, and he gave him a family. You remember? He didn't think he was ever going to have one. He was 75 years of age, and his wife was 65, and they had no children. He was 85 years of age, and she was 75, and they had no children. At 85, he decided he ought to help God out, and so Sarah did, and so they took a, he took a concubine, and God said, No, I'm going to give you your family. And when he was 100 years of age, he, uh, his wife, 90, delivered a child. Now, you know, God says, I've got a family better for you than the natural family. And the family that he wants to put us in is a supernatural family. And it is a family of great joy because when that child was born, he said, name him, he laughed. And that's what he named him. Because God was giving him a family. It's interesting he gave him a people, isn't it? Because, you see, he said, your descendants will be greater than the number of the stars in the heavens. And so the people of Israel came. They were the result, the descendants of Abraham. He gave him a new people. And what a people it has been. Out of all the peoples of the earth, that people has spread more blessing across the world than all the other peoples of the world put together. What a people God gave to him. He'll never take anything away but that he gives you something infinitely better. And a country. He gave them Canaan. But what he really wanted to do was give them an eternal kingdom, that kingdom which is to come when every knee bows and every tongue confesses that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That kingdom, that eternal kingdom, unshakable kingdom, as Sam Camelation says, that unshakable kingdom that is to come. So God took away, but he gave a number of things back. He gave them back, and they were better. Now, uh, out of that, one of the things that uh, is beautiful to me is we get back to the essence of what this story is about. You get, those are not the great thing. The great thing is you get him. Now, God's given us five children. God's given us 16 grandchildren. God's given us a rather interesting life. Very fascinating calling. I've had experiences nobody else in the world's had. I've been president of Asbury College. Not many around like that. I've had the privilege of living with you. Great joy. But do you know the best thing in it all? I've had her. <laughs> and as I've had her and walked with her, all of these other things have come. All we had to do was live and love each other and we got 
Katie Beth's mother. That's all we had to do. Live and love each other. And the next thing we knew, we had Denny. All we had to do was live and love each other. And the next thing we knew, we had Katie. They're living in France. Talked to them a few minutes ago. They're coming home next week with their three children. All we had to do was live and love each other. And one day the doctor said to me, I hope you have plenty of bedroom space in your house. And I said, what do you mean? Well, he said, you got two little girls in there. And I said, you're lying. Well, he said, you go see. And I walked in and here were these. First time I'd ever seen new babies. They were unwashed, bloody, messy things. Down in that bassinet, you know, jammed against each other like two earthworms wiggling. I looked down and thought, mine? I looked down at Elsie and Elsie said, how many? I said, two. She said, are you sure? I said, yeah, they're two all right. She said, are they all right? I said, look all right to me. I wouldn't know. She said, how many did you say? I said, two, and held two fingers over her face. And she looked up and said, isn't that just like the Lord? You ask for one and you get two. Now, uh, that's, uh, all of that came just by living with somebody else and loving her and her loving me. Do you know there is no telling what will happen if you live with him and love him? There will be fruit that will be eternal. It will start a lineage that will run for the rest. Eternity doesn't have any rest to it. <laughs> so I don't know what to say language-wise. It'll run to the rest of time and then part of eternity, that which is eternal. And God said to Abraham, I just want you to live with me, stick with me, follow me, and there'll be good fruit that comes from it. And that's the word he wants to say to you. If you'll keep your relationship to him, the central reality of your life and the most important thing in your life, your life will cast a shadow like that. Now, let me make three or four comments about the God you get, the one who travels with you. The first thing is, he's the Lord of all circumstances. Now, you can see how he's been the Lord in the past, but I want you to know he's the Lord of the future just as much as he is of the past. Because do you know with God there isn't any future? He's in the future as much as he's in the past. I've said to you I was getting ready to preach on the ascension and it was one of those things that blew my mind and I've never gotten over it. I was trying to say, now what's the importance of the ascension going to heaven, the Son ascending back to the Father? I thought, how far did he go and how long did it take him? And then I thought, I laughed and I thought, that's funny, how far is the space question and how long is the time question and space and time are not a part of eternity. He lives in a world that transcends space and time. So uh, I realized he didn't go anywhere because you can't say where about God. Where is a space word? And you can't say when about God because he's eternal. So you can't put him in the past. He's in your future as much as he's in your past or your present. And he's Lord. He controls everything. Now, one of the fun things about getting old is you've got a longer memory. And I can remember some of the times when God said to me, I want you to pack your bags and move. We were 38. I had, we had three, we had five kids. And God said, I want you to pack your bags and go to graduate school. And I said, there's no way I don't have any money. Well, he said, that's my business. 
Now, you know, it was interesting the way he provided. I could regale you all evening. Now, he doesn't do miracles every day. He only does them when they have to be there. But when they have to be there, he'll do them. They're not his routine. The norm is his routine. But when they have to be, he's Lord. He can take care of you, and it, it is not his business to let you get in a box he can't get you out of. And so when you start your day, you can say, Our Father, my Father, and he's capable of taking care of you no matter what comes. I want to say that as strongly as I know I. That's the reason he can ask you to stick your neck out for him. Because he won't let you down. He can take care of you. Another thing is, he'll put you in big business. You know what's killing America? We don't have any reason worth living for. <laughs> There's nothing left worth living for for most Americans. You're not going to tell me a Rolls Royce is enough to live for or Mercedes or any of the rest or three condominiums in the right places. All you've got to do is go live in one a while and you'll know it's not enough for a person made in the image of God. If you were to take the suicides in the country, you'd find them on the ones with the more, the higher standards of living, not the lower standards of living usually. We're living in a very futile, empty-hearted age. We don't have anything to live for. God said to Abraham, if you'll follow me, we'll save the world. <laughs> Abraham knew he was in big business. I don't know any other way to explain his fidelity in that ancient day across the years. Now, I don't think he knew how big a business he was in. But he knew he was in big business because he was in the main business when he was with, with God. And you know, I remember some of the people that I heard when I was a student at Asbury. One of them was Henry Clay Morrison. And one of the things I always loved about him was he felt he was in the biggest business in the world. He was preaching the gospel. He introduced a presidential candidate one day at the camp meeting down here. Man, he wasn't envying the guy who was running for the presidency of the United States. He wouldn't have traded places with him for all the tea in China or all the money in Kuwait. And if you'll walk with him, he'll put you in big business. Now, the world may not recognize it, but you'll know it. And there'll be a contentment inside you because you're in big business. You're living for eternal things. The third thing is that he always goes before you. He never asks you to go where he hasn't been. And he ever never asks you to do anything that he won't do before you do it. Now that's the exact opposite of the way the world does. You know, the general sits in headquarters and does the planning and tells his subordinates what to do, and they tell their subordinates, and then their subordinates are out there on the, on the points in the places of danger doing the rough stuff. It's interesting, he always goes before us. You'll never find any place where he's not ahead of you. He's there to lead you, to guide you, to protect you, to care for you, to be there with you. And he'll never ask you to do anything that he's not willing to do. Now you say, uh, he asked Abraham to give up his son, didn't he? 
You remember he said to him, I want you to take your son and sacrifice him to me. I love the Hebrew of that because the next line says, begins, Vayash came, and he arose early in the morning. Now, I don't know what he suffered through the night, but when the daylight came, he was headed from Mount Moriah to obey the one with whom he walked. And you remember how he put his son on the altar? As they were going up the mountain, the son turned and said, Father, we got the fire and we got the wood for the sacrifice to burn it, but where's the sacrifice? And he said, God will provide it. Now, I don't know all the depths of what was included in that, but when he laid him on that altar and bound him and raised the knife to put him in it, put it in his breast, there was total obedience, total obedience in Abraham. Now, uh, God said to him, Abraham, I don't want Isaac. I just want you to put me ahead of your son. And I want you to be sure that you're detached from everything in your life. And I'm not out to hurt anybody. I'm out to save everybody. Now, you've heard me tell this, but let me, let me labor it again. I remember dwelling on that story once. It was very moving to me. A man who was willing to take his own son and put him on an altar and sacrifice him. And then God speaks and says, Abraham, Abraham, don't touch the lad. Then, you know, I thought I heard a conversation on Mount Moriah. It wasn't between Abraham and Isaac. It was between uh, the first person of the Trinity and the second person of the Trinity. And the second person of the Blessed Trinity said to the first person of the Blessed Trinity, Father, this is not the last time we're coming to this mountaintop, is it? And the Father said to the Eternal Son, No, Son, this is not the last time we're coming to this mountaintop. It'll be about 2,000 years, and we'll be back here. And the Son said, Father, when we come back the next time, it won't be one of them on this altar, will it? And the Eternal Father said, No, Son. When we come back the next time, it won't be one of them on this altar. It'll be one of us. And the Son said, It'll be I, won't it? And the Father said, Son, yes, it'll be you. And the Eternal Son looked into the face of the Eternal Father, and he said, Father, when we come back the next time, and it's I on that altar, and the knife's raised or the spear's raised, and they're ready to push it in, are you going to say, don't touch the lad? The Eternal Father said, no, son. You see, we never ask them to do in symbol what we're not willing to do in reality. That's the reason people have been willing to follow him to the death. He's never asked anything out of you or me that he hasn't done before. Because, you know, the reality is that that sacrifice took place in the bosom of eternity, slain from before the foundations of the world in the heart of God. That's the kind of care He has for us. He's not the one who's going to tell us how to do it. He's the one who's going to do it before us. Never ask you to pay a price He hasn't paid. And then the last thing I want to say is, He's the one who keeps every promise He ever makes. He told Abraham he was going to have a son, and he uh, did. 
this may be my last time here. Let me go back to Henry Clay Morrison again. He had a great story about Abraham. How when God said to him when he was 75 years of age that he was going to have a son, and Abraham said, it's obvious you aren't from around here. And uh, God said, that's right. Abraham said, because if you were around here, you'd know my wife's 65 and I'm 75. And God said, but I'm the eternal one. And years don't make any difference with me. You're going to have a son. Now, the astounding thing is, Morrison said Abraham believed him. So he said the next morning he went downtown to the local furniture store and went in and said to the Jewish storekeeper, furniture dealer, I want the best baby buggy in the house. And so uh, Jake looked at Abe and said, Abe, what are you going to do with a baby buggy? You're 75 years old. One of your handmaids going to have a child? No, he said, Jake, now you hold on. This is going to be hard on you. But Miss Sarah's going to have a child. And Jake said, Abe, maybe I better tell you about the facts of life. And Abe said, tell me all about the facts of life. But let me tell you about the facts of God. Miss Sarah is going to have a baby. Said every woman down Abe Street got a crink in her neck as she watched that white-haired old man push that empty baby buggy down the street as she observed and craned her neck to follow it and watched as he pulled it up over the steps of the por- onto the porch and pulled it into the living room and parked it side of the fireplace And for the next 25 years, it was a conversational piece. And every person that came in said, Abe, why the baby buggy? And Abe said, do you see these hills? One of these days, they're all going to belong to my descendants. Because God has promised, and that baby buggy is my response to his word to me. Now, you know, uh, I've remembered that story all my life. And you know that promise was fulfilled. I love the way in the Old Testament the people of Israel believe that. You remember Jacob when he died in Egypt said to Joseph, carry me back and bury me in Abraham's grave spot. And you will remember that when Joseph died, he said to his sons, embalm me. Don't bury me in Egypt. Because God's given us a land, and he's going to keep his promise. So the children of Joseph embalmed Joseph. I suppose parked his body in a casket in the living room. And everybody that came in said, what's in the box? And they said, that's Grandpa Joseph. And they said, well, why don't you bury him? And they said, because we've got a future, and we're going to take him with us for that future. Now, you've got a future, but the future isn't in you, it's in him. And the finding of that future is in keeping the essence of what it's all about clear. And that's keeping your personal relationship with Christ clean, clear, on a day-by-day hour by hour basis.
where your attachment to him means that compared to that attachment, every other relationship in, in your human experience is a detachment because he comes first. And if you do, you know what we'll spend eternity doing? I'll spend a good chunk of it listening to you tell me the outworking of it all. That's worth looking for.